morning, so if you have a Bible, you could turn there, and we will uh, pick up where we left off last week. Any kids headed to Gospel Project? Now's your time. Hope you have a great time. And parents, you do have to pick your kids up when we're done. Last Sunday, we uh, began a new sermon series on what the Bible says about money. And uh, in case you weren't here, essentially what we saw is that Jesus says, if we treasure God, then we'll leverage money for spiritual gains. That's what the middle part of Matthew chapter 6 says. Today, we'll look at the second uh, half of the chapter together. Jesus gave us a cold, hard fact. He says it's impossible to serve God and money concurrently, that we'll either serve money here on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, or we'll treasure God who reigns in heaven. He puts it in very stark black and white terms. Either God will be God or money will be God. came across a quote this week by uh, the Protestant reformer Martin Luther. I thought summed up that section so well. He said, what sort of God is it that's not even capable of defending himself against moth and rust? Isn't that great? Friends, we choose each day who we will serve. Will it be money or will it be God? This morning, as we continue in Matthew chapter 6, we'll find that Jesus brings up one of the most potent, present temptations we have with our resources, and that's to be anxious about them. By way of introduction, um, I thought we could consider a song this morning. It goes like this. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry, be happy. In every life we have some trouble, but when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy now. Have you ever stopped to read the lyrics of songs? Not, not um, merely to hear them, but to read them. Here's a slide of the rest of that song. Don't worry. Ooh, 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 ooh. Be happy. I always knew that song sounded dumb, but now you can see that it really is dumb. But if only life were that easy, if only we could just decide, uh, no more worrying, I'm simply going to be happy, and that simply take care of the whole matter. But we all know it's not that easy. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us, don't worry, be trusting. He says that the opposite of anxiety and worry over our money is that we would be trusting of Him. And in a most practical, beautiful way, this passage is going to show us why. Why we need not be anxious. And why it makes all the sense in the world to trust God. I hope you'll watch for those two things as Carly Henry comes to read for us from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all, the thi all these things will be added to you. Wonderful. Thank you. How many days, Carly? 48. Carly's getting married in 48 days to Joshua. We're excited for you both. So six times in 10 verses, the same word occurs. Did you catch it? Anxious. 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 Who's anxious about being anxious? Three of those six times were directly commanded, do not be anxious. Verse 25 says, don't be anxious about your life. Verse 31 says, don't be anxious about what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. Verse 34 says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Anxiety is a huge challenge for us today. In fact, it's now the number one mental health issue in the United States. Number one. Now, this text today is not talking about what might be a biologically related issue of anxiety. Jesus isn't intending to say to us, um, it's wrong to see a counselor, it's wrong to take medication for anxiety any more than you would if you needed insulin for diabetes. But he's specifically zoning in on the issue of anxiety related to money over possessions. Now, the relationship between money and anxiety may at first appear to be circumstantial. And what I mean by that is we might think the reason I'm anxious and bent out of shape about money is because of this circumstance I find myself in. That's certainly an understandable way of thinking. I mean, consider these few facts. The average American household carries $137,063 in debt, not including a mortgage. So that's car loans, credit card loans, payday loans. Can you imagine? Yes, because the average person in the room today carries that amount of debt. A third of us, statistically speaking, have zero dollars saved for retirement. 78% of American workers live paycheck to paycheck. I could keep going, but those types of stats make it seem as though 
the anxiety we have is directly connected to our financial circumstances. And so the thinking is, if well, my anxiety's high, it's because my money's low. And if I just had more money, then in a commensurate way, the tables would turn and my anxiety would become less and less as my wealth becomes more and more. But almost always, our circumstances are not the problem, nor is more money the solution. I hope today the Lord will enable us to believe what He says. Jesus says the real way out of worry and anxiety is not more, 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 but rather to trust trust. Jesus says it's that simple. The only solution to money anxiety is to trust our faithful Father. That's what those verses say that Carly just read for us. Jesus gives a, a whole list of ways in which anxiety is deficient and ought to be done away with, in which trust is far better. And then he ends the passage by calling us to live for something better, now, frankly, my least favorite kind of sermon to listen to, and yes, I do that. I, I don't just give them. Uh, my least favorite kind to listen to is when the preacher is going on and on and on with lists of things. Like, that's when I have anxiety. But, gosh darn it, that's what Jesus does in this passage. And so my obligation to you is to say what, Jesus says, and for some reason, he has chosen to give us a steady diet or a list of reasons, a case against anxiety. And so I would encourage you this morning not to necessarily concern yourself with making sure you get every single one of them written down, there's six of them, and instead to listen to the argument he's building in terms of summation of all of them. Jesus gives us six reasons why anxiety isn't befitting a Christian when it comes to money. We're not to be anxious because the first reason he gives us is that money anxiety overestimates physical needs. Money anxiety overestimates physical needs. The end of verse 25 says, Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Brothers and sisters, if someone had the ability to know your thoughts in the last week, what percentage of them were caught up in thinking about food? What percentage of them were bound up in wondering about what you're wearing and what other people are wearing? Would they surmise, if they knew our thoughts, that life is, in fact, about food and clothing. My guess is, for some of us, the answer would have to be yes. But Jesus, rather provocatively, is saying, there are more important things. Yes, you need those two things in order to make it. I'm very glad you've eaten today, and even more glad you're clothed. But... Isn't life about more than that? If 
you find yourself constantly fretting over bills, if you are consistently juggling what gets paid at what point in the month, if the major stressor in your life is how do I stay afloat until my next paycheck, then friend, life for you has become about your material needs. And those material needs were never, ever, ever meant to occupy that place in your life. They're simply not that important. We are not made to be wrapped up in temporary worldly things. That's not the way we are hardwired. Jesus says life is about something more. Now, like any good teacher would, he doesn't tell us at this point what that more is. He's going to circle back to it and answer that question at the end of the passage. But here he just says life Yes, life is about more than food and clothing. So don't be anxious. Church, maybe we could say it this way. We are more than what money will buy. Yes, we need food. Yes, we need clothing. But don't overestimate the significance of those needs. Life is not about those needs. Now then Jesus turns from from that first argument against anxiety to a second. But this time he doesn't just give a principle. Instead, he gives an illustration in order to to prime the pump, if you will. If you look at verse 26, he gives a very simple illustration. Jesus says, look up at the sky. See the birds? Birds aren't consumed with food. They don't sit and fret and rock back and forth, stewing over the stock market. They're not concerned about their 401ks. They don't store up food. They live today, and God feeds them, and they're only birds. Then look at the end of verse 26 where Jesus asked this provocative question again, another one. Are you not of more value than they? Again, the answer is obviously yes. Friends, Jesus says, look up. Look around you. See the way God sovereignly provides for birds. Now, we're not talking about these scooters, not those birds. The birds in the air, the flapping birds. The last time I parked under a tree overnight... When I came to my car, I had no question about how the birds are doing. They are well fed. Friends, in a biblical worldview, the birds are not fed by mere happenstance. This isn't the evolutionary cycle continuing. This isn't the seasons moving in their own way. This is the sovereign, gracious, providential hand of God. God feeds the birds. God provides for them. Not every now and then, but daily. Daily. In God's common grace, he takes care of what he's made. Now, this is a very Hebraic argument Jesus is making. Once you have a category for this, you'll begin to see it all over your New Testament. It's of taking a lesser and then saying, if that's true for the lesser, how much more Is this true for the greater? Now, there's a few of you this will irritate, 
But friends, it's just part of the biblical worldview. A bird is not near as important or significant as a person. Only people are made in God's image. Only people are eternal. All dogs don't go to heaven. Therefore, probably not the birds either. Now, you can have a bird and care for your bird and your cat and your dog. Hold your emails. But don't, don't miss the point. The point is, if God takes care of a lesser creature, how much more will God take care of the only thing he's made that represents him on earth? The next time you have bird poo on your bike or your car or, God forbid, on your head, remember, God cares for you. And he may, in fact, have sent that bird to remind you. Now, the third reason Jesus gives related to why we must not be anxious is that money anxiety is ineffective. It doesn't work. That's what verse 24 says, 27 says. Maybe you're saying at this point, okay, Chuck, I, I get that my anxiety is on the one hand an overestimization of the importance of my needs and an underestimization of God's care. But it's nothing more. In fact, worry is useful. Worry is what keeps me from buying something I don't need in order that I may pay what I have to. You follow that line of thinking? That concern, that angst, that fretting, that stewing over, how am I going to pay for this and this and this? That's what keeps me locked in, engaged on my budget and paying my bills. In some ways, that makes some sense. Except Jesus says it doesn't actually work that way. That it doesn't result in that. Verse 27 Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Do you know when you're in trouble, you tend to get asked a lot of questions? That's what this passage is full of. Jesus asking questions. Questions in which the answer is ever obvious. None of us are making our lives any longer with our worry. In fact, you may be cutting them shorter. Worry, anxiety, fretting, being consumed with material needs doesn't solve any problems. Now, clearly what's behind that is this message. Stop it. It doesn't work. Why do something over and over and over and over and over that will, in fact, not result in any net gain. It's ineffective. Not only is it ineffective, the fourth reason he gives us is that money anxiety is unnecessary. Here Jesus moves again from not stating the principle directly, but by pointing to another illustration. Verses 28, 29, and 30 tell us to consider the lilies. Now here we have to use a bit of imagination. 
we live where nothing grows. A lily is a flower. There are these things that come up out of the ground, and we get them for a few days before they are fried. But consider the beauty of a flower. Jesus says, in essence, flowers are not anxious. That one petal is just a tiny bit of a different shade than the next. Flowers feel no anxiety about whether they're getting organic or regular fertilizer. They're not concerned with, I bloomed last year at this point and I'm an hour overdue. They, they don't look to the other flower next to them and say, she's a lot prettier than me. Gosh, Garnet, I wish I was prettier like her. What do I have to do to make myself pretty? There's no angst over whether the water is coming from the sky or from a pitcher or from the sprinkler. They don't labor in an eight to five in order to make money for their clothes. And yet, God cares for them. Their beauty points to the most beautiful one. They simply grow by the tender care of God. And if a flower can do that, follow Jesus' argument, how much more will he care for you? Church, all our fretting and worry and anxiety and angst is 100% unwarranted. That's Jesus' point. If you are on the hamster wheel of life, consumed with material needs, Jesus does more than shake a finger at you and say, stop it. He also says, look at the flowers. I care for them. How much more will I care for you? What a tender message. Friends, we're not in charge. Now, you've wanted to do that at some point in the last week, but turn to the person next to you and tell them, you're not in charge either. We're not in charge. God's in charge. And we do work. We do whatever God sets before us. But the God who so clothes the lilies will also clothe us. And if we can't work, the God who so clothes the lilies will clothe us. Now, if you look at verse 31, Jesus brings up these three needs again, these three questions. What will we eat? And you can almost hear the anxious person stewing, even as we read them. What will we eat? (laughs) What will we drink? (laughs) What will we wear? But now it's going to hurt a little bit. Because the next reason he gives is incredibly confrontational. Jesus says that money anxiety is not only unnecessary, it's not only unwarranted, it's 
It's not only ineffective, it's also ungodly. You'll notice in verse 32 that the word Gentiles is used. What Jesus is getting at here is that people who don't know God live like people who don't know God. That people who don't know God don't know that God clothes the lilies and feeds the birds and will take care of his people. And therefore, they have an inherent, understandable anxiety over money. But when God's people are thinking rightly, we no longer serve money. We know and serve God. And as we learned last week, there's only one throne over every heart. And either sitting on that throne will be God himself or will be money. The two can't coexist. It'll either be God sitting there or money sitting there. But friends, if we truly consider our lives, it's very possible to be legitimately saved, to be a child of God, to be heaven-bound. And yet for days, weeks, months, in some cases even years, to live as though money is still on the throne. It's like putting on blinders, pretending I can't see God ruling and reigning there. And it's very possible to slip back into living as though we don't actually know Jesus. Now notice the train of thought Jesus is giving us here. He's saying, in essence, excessive worry and fretting and anxiety about money is a form of functional atheism. You see, there's what we we read in the Scriptures and confess with our mouths and sing and talk to each other about what we believe. That's our formal belief. That's what we say we believe. But then there's the actual functional day-in and day-out behavior. And he says there can be a disparity between the two, not eternally, but temporarily. That it's possible to sing even with our hands up, he will hold me fast. And yet then to leave and believe I must hold me. Church, we're to be a people who don't have money anxiety because it's unnecessary, but even more so because it's not how Christians live. Now, why? In the full and final analysis, why? Why we need not be anxious. One of the things I was uh, so thrilled to uncover in this passage, I've taught on it many times, but I've never seen this before, is I thought Jesus was sort of giving a grocery list. He was saying, here's how to get rid of anxiety. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. That's not actually the way the argument works. It's more like you're climbing a mountain, and we reach a point where there's a summit, where there's This is the pinnacle, the top, the lasting, enduring, burst your heart out with calmness reason. It's in verse 31 and 32. 
said, therefore, don't be anxious. What we eat, what we drink, what we wear. For the Gentiles seek after these things. Here it is. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. There's a way in the language of the New Testament to take a verb and to emphasize it in such a way that it's saying, this came to be true at a particular point in the past, and the effects of that continue on and on and on and on and on, and it is ever true. There's only one place in this whole passage that that construction is used, and it's here in the word no. And so what's very clear in what Jesus says is the dominant reason, friend, why you need not be anxious is you have a, the Father who knows. You see, when your car insurance goes up and you didn't plan for that, when your AC goes out and you simply can't stand it, when you get that unexpected tax bill, oops, or when your car is in the shop yet again, even when those things happen, all your tossing and turning and fretting in bed at night, all the sleepless nights will not, in fact, solve the problem. The solution to the fretting is the knowledge of God. You see, Jesus is telling us, in God, we have not only a Lord, not only a Savior, not only a king, not only a redeemer, not only a creator. We have a heavenly father. We have a perfect dad. And this dad knows. He's not unaware. He's not caught up at work in a new project. He's not lost in his hobbies. He's not indifferent and cold towards our needs. No, friends, he's present. He's a perfect provider. He gives all things to all his people at exactly the right time. He is a good dad. He is the best dad. And your need has not escaped him. You have not fallen through the cracks. So at the end of the day, Christians don't get ulcers over bills because we have the confidence that our Heavenly Father is the one who holds all things in his hand. And he gives them out as he wills, which is always towards our own good. If you were a hooping and hollering people, this would be the moment. That is incredible news. Now, speaking of the promise, did you catch what he says at the end of verse 33? All these things will be added to you. Well, what's the these things? Is it a new iPhone? Is it a six-figure salary? Is it an Ivy League school? Is it designer clothes? The these things 
brothers and sisters, isn't whatever we want. That these things is the answer to what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. Now, frankly, the meaning of this is incredibly plain. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. While you're doing that, know your heavenly Father will add to you all the things that you need. But that's so bold. This week as I prepared, uh, about half the commentators I read come up with some reason why. That can't possibly be what Jesus actually meant. That's incredibly unfortunate because Jesus is actually making to you, believer, a radical promise. That promise is that your needs will be met. You may not get the iPhone you want. You may have to wear your shoes a little longer than you'd like. You may have an older car. You may have to live in a smaller place. You might have to drop out of ASU and go to MCC. But brothers and sisters, you will not starve, nor will you have to go naked. Thank God. God promises to care for our most basic needs. And so Jesus is saying, don't give yourselves over to being consumed by the things of the world because God's already going to add them to you. Can you imagine the difference in your stress level if you believed that? You would be much less crotchety. All these things will be added to you. For time's sake, let me just mention the sixth reason. Jesus says that money anxiety incorrectly prioritizes tomorrow over today. So verse 34 tells us that there's a way in which we can be so concerned about what's coming that today we're not even here. And that Jesus promises to provide for us today in a way that it's commensurate to our actual needs. What a comfort that is. These are Jesus' reasons why we need not be concerned, consumed with anxiety over money. But instead, we're to do something different. In place of anxiety, we're to live for something more. Back in verse 25, Jesus asked this challenging question, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Clearly, the answer is yes, but he didn't tell us what. But down in verse 33, we do have the answer. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Would you read that verse with me? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is saying, friend, that the weight of your life, the worth of a soul, 
is not necessarily about how long you live. It's certainly not about how much you have. But rather, it's about concentrating yourself on God and the things of God. It's about living for Him, His glory, honoring Him. Now, does that mean that all of us ought to spend our time the way that I spend the majority of my time? The the majority of my week looks like this. And I thank God for that privilege that you give me in enabling me to, to spend most of my time studying in order to lead this congregation as we, with the rest of the pastors, seek to teach what God's Word says. But seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness doesn't mean we're all pastors. But rather, friends, it means in whatever sphere of life that you find yourself in, that what is primary is always knowing, enjoying, obeying, loving God and sharing Him with people. That whether that's at work or at school or at home or at the gym, the three of us who go, that life is not about amassing worldly wealth. Life is about the kingdom of God and being in a state of right standing with Him. Brothers and sisters, that's the more. It's living for the salvation of all peoples and the spiritual growth of God's people and the spread of gospel-centered churches all over the world. Christians are people who don't give excessive attention to our needs, but rather we give our very best to the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Ultimately, of course, our example for this is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's how Jesus lived. Jesus sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And while he didn't get rich in the process, his father did take care of him. Matthew 8, verse 20 says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We think for a moment about what that's saying. Saying the God who made everything came into a body, and during his earthly ministry, those three years in which he had an itinerant preaching ministry traveling around, His Hilton points didn't take care of his stay. But rather, he had somewhere to stay because of the generosity of people or he slept out on the ground. That the King of kings and the Lord of lords was homeless. And yet, even in that state of poverty, Jesus did not starve and Jesus had clothes. God took care of him. Jesus' sacrifice was not only at the cross, but rather throughout his life. And friend, all of us will be called to different levels and different manners of sacrifice. What's most important is not that we all be exactly the same 
in how much we make or how much we give or how much we're able to share. But that commensurate to whatever God gives us, we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, knowing that He will provide all that we need. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you're one of the ones here that Hansley spoke to earlier this morning, thanks so much for joining us. Understand that Jesus' message is that Jesus gave his life, including these years in which he lived in abjunct poverty, in order that we would know the riches of his grace and kindness to us. Our prayer this morning is that you would recognize your need for him. You turn from that life of sin you've been living and turn to one in which you trust him. We'd love to tell you more. Ask somebody sitting around you afterwards. Let's pray. Father, this is one of those passages that it's astonishing that it was written 2,000 years ago because its relevancy seems like it could never have been more potent than it is today. We are people who battle and sometimes just give up that battle with anxiety. Father, on behalf of my brothers and sisters, we repent this morning of a materialism that drives Christians to live as though money is climbed back on that throne when only Jesus rightly sits there. And we pray that as our anxieties have been exposed in this sermon through your Bible that we would turn from that sin, that we would confess it to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and that we would begin moment by moment to learn to live in trust, not fear. We thank you that you promised to meet our needs. We pray that you'd raise up here in Tempe, a people who live not for this world, but for the next. Pray this in Jesus' name.